But we are returning to our sermon series through the Gospel of Mark. And uh, it had been a rough 24 to to 48 hours for the disciples. Uh, It started when a man brought his son to them to cast out the demon, and they were unable to do that. And immediately after that, Jesus announced to them that he was going to be handed over and be killed. This was the second time he said that. And then after that, they were walking to a town, and the disciples began to bicker with one another about which one of them was the greatest disciple, the greatest in the kingdom of God. And Jesus heard their argument and asked them what it was they were arguing about, and it was pretty humiliating and pretty embarrassing. So if punches come in threes, the disciples were ready for the bell to sound so that they could go back to their corner and just take a little time out, have a little breather. But this round was going to continue. And so we're going to pick up the story in Mark chapter 9, verse 38. But uh, join me as we pray first for the reading of God's word. Father God, your word tells us that you discipline and correct those whom you love. And that we are wise when we don't despise your correction, but we invite it and welcome it. And so we do invite you today to speak into our lives, knowing that you do so in love. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear and the courage to take the appropriate action. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Mark chapter 9, verse 38 to 41. And this is uh, immediately after they've been arguing about which of them is the, the greatest. Teacher, said John, we saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we told him to stop because he was not one of us. Do not stop him, Jesus said, for no one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me. For whoever is not against us is for us. Truly, I tell you, anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name because you belong to the Messiah will certainly not lose their reward. Teacher, we saw someone driving out demons in your name. We told him to stop because he's not one of us. I think what John was doing was trying to change the subject. Uh, They had been talking about their argument about which one of them is the greatest, and that is pretty uncomfortable. And so what John did was he said something that he was quite sure would elicit from Jesus a congratulatory pat on the back. Well done, John. Good job. And so he says, we saw this person doing this miracle in your name, and we told them to stop, told them to stop, aren't you proud of us, Jesus? I mean, we can't be too careful when it comes to monitoring who's allowed to speak in your name and, and heal the sick in your name and offer hope in your name, cast out demons in your name. We've got to have some controls. We need to have some criteria, some, some way to ensure that people have the right credentials. So John expected to hear from Jesus, well done, good job, John. But instead, this is what he heard. John, what are are you doing? (laughs) 
What are you thinking? Do not stop him. No one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me, for whoever is not against us is for us. So I, I was wondering this week, I asked myself the question, what if Jesus had responded the way John expected him to? What if Jesus had said, John, well done. Way to stop that guy. Way to shut that thing down. What would the consequence of that have been? And I think the answer is not an over-exaggeration to say we today wouldn't be here. If, John would have, if Jesus would have said to John, well done, and telling him to stop, today the church would not be here. And here's why I think that is. It's because Jesus would have set a, a precedent. And, and the day was coming where Jesus was soon going to die and then ascend to the Father, and he wouldn't be there with them. And if the precedent he set is that only the, the few are empowered to do ministry, then as soon as the few were, were dead and gone, everything stops. It is all over. The church today exists, well over 2 billion people alive on this planet, exactly because Jesus said, don't stop him. Don't stop him. Whoever is not against us is for us. At the heart of John's question, at the heart of his concern that some stranger is ministering in Jesus' name is a very important question. And this is going to sound kind of, you know, high in the sky, but we're going to bring it down to earth. This is the question. Is Christianity a centralized or a decentralized religion? Now, let me flesh that out with you. There are different types of organizations. Some are centralized and some are decentralized, and they operate very differently. So a centralized organization, there's somebody in charge. It's easy to define there's a person and they are the person who's in charge. In a centralized organization, there's a headquarters. You know where that headquarters is. In a centralized organization, if you thump it on the head, take out the leader, uh, it dies. It, 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 it ends. In a centralized organization, there's a clear division of roles. There's a very established hierarchy. Knowledge and power are concentrated at the top. The organization is rigid. You can count the participants. You know who's in and you know who's out. And so in John's mind, that's what this thing called Christianity was, a centralized organization. In his mind, there was someone in charge. Obviously, it was Jesus, but by proxy, it was the disciples, which is what he thought gave him the authority to say, hey, knock it off. Stop casting out demons in Jesus' name. You don't have authority to do that. In a centralized organization, there's a headquarters. So in the mind of John, the headquarters was this circle of 12, this, this band of disciples with Jesus. For something to be carried out, it had to be authorized. The power had to come from this circle. If you thump it on the head, it dies, which is exactly why the disciples were so bothered 
every time Jesus said, I'm going to be handed over and I'm going to be killed. Because in their mind, you take Jesus out of the equation, this thing is done. It's all over. There's a clear division of roles. People know their place. You stay in your lane in a centralized organization. So Peter, James, and John were part of this inner circle. And then there were the other nine. And then there were the other 70. And then there were the other 120. And and there were expectations. You kind of stayed in your lane. There was this built-in hierarchy. Knowledge and power concentrated concentrated in Jesus. Jesus shared that knowledge and power with the disciples. They are the ones in the know. The organization is rigid. There's not a lot of flexibility. It only works with Jesus at the helm and the disciples in their key roles. And finally, you can count the participants. You know who's in and you know who's out. If Christianity is what John thought it was supposed to be, this this centralized organization, then it makes perfect sense for him to look at that unauthorized stranger and say, knock it off. Stop it. You don't have the authority to be doing that. But what if Christianity is meant to be a decentralized organization? In a decentralized organization, leadership is shared. In the case of the kingdom of God, clearly Jesus is the leader, but consider the way Jesus leads. He's a leader who empowers others. He says to his disciples, I'm going to send you out. Recognizing, I don't have to be the one that goes out. I'm going to send you out, and I'm going to call you to prepare other people and send them out. He leads an empowering way. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. It's all mine. I'm in charge. And then he looks to his disciples, and now you go. And he continues to do that with us. Leadership is shared. In a decentralized organization, there's no headquarters. I was thinking back of the, in history, one of the missteps that happened in the fourth century when the Roman Catholic Church made Christianity the, the state religion, the religion of the empire. One of the missteps that affected everything was they took what was meant to be a decentralized organization and they made it a centralized organization. That they, they have one person in power and he has all the power, the Pope. They made a headquarters. Knowledge and power resides with the few, so much so that they... They had the scriptures in Latin and they didn't dare translate it into the language of common man because man couldn't be trusted with the scriptures. They made it a centralized organization what was meant to be decentralized. And a decentralized organization, if you thump it on the head, it doesn't die. It adapts. It morphs. That is the church. The church is not rigid. It's incredibly flexible. Take away our buildings, no problem. We'll meet in our homes. Imprison our leaders, no problem. New leaders will rise up. Make our religion illegal, no problem. We'll go underground. Kill us, and the blood of the martyrs will become the seed of the church You cannot easily extinguish the flame of an organization that is decentralized. It's like a forest fire. You snuff it out in one place and it pops up 
in another. In a decentralized organization, there isn't a clear division of roles. There isn't this clear hierarchy. Hierarchy. The scripture says there is neither nor no longer Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female. In Christ, we are all one. There are no second-class citizens, which you think in the context, they're just arguing about which one of them is the greatest. Jesus is wiping that all away. There is no greatest. We're all on the same plane. We are all sinners in need of a Savior, all called into to ministry in Christ's name. In a decentralized organization, it's impossible to count the participants. Jesus knew what he was doing that day when he said, do not stop him. It's all predicated on that, that impulse. Don't stop him. And it's all predicated on the conviction that if you're not against us, you're for us. Now, here's the thing about decentralized organizations, and maybe you've gotten here before me. You're already here in your mind. It can be messy. They can be messy. John was, was really no dummy. Like, he, he was thinking things out, having people just going around casting out demons in Jesus' name, this, this could get really messy. There needed to be some kind of control, some kind of, of, of power, some kind of accountability. It seems that God, in his wisdom, is willing to risk things being a little messy for the sake of maintaining a church that is an open system, an empowering system, now, he hasn't just left us without any guide. He's given us his word as his rule. He's given us the spirit as our guide. We have marching orders. But it does get messy from time to time. Again, compare and contrast the, the Catholic Church with the Protestant Church. The Catholic Church is a centralized organization. There's very tight command and control. There's a clear leader who has enormous power. There's a, a headquarters. The Catholic Church is not free from its own messes, obviously, and, and cover-ups. But there's a high degree of structure and order. The Protestant Church, on the other hand, sometimes it feels like the wild, wild west. Like there's all kinds of stuff going on. And, and even us, we are in it right now. We are leaving one denomination for another denomination. We've got churches springing up overnight, churches meeting in theaters and in restaurants and shopping malls and bars. We have charismatic Christians, Pentecostal Christians. We've got Christians who will baptize infants. We have ones that say, no, you're only going to baptize adults. We have some that will ordain women into leadership. Some say, no, women shouldn't be ordained into leadership. We have some that are incredibly traditional and liturgical and some that are ultra-contemporary and informal. We are an odd lot from every tribe, tongue, and nation, and sometimes it's messy. Let's be honest. Have you ever been embarrassed by a fellow Christian? By a fellow, by a fellow Christian, by something they say, something they, they do, Maybe a post they put on Facebook or a sign they put in their yard and, and you want to distinguish yourself. I'm a Christian, but I'm not like those Christians. 
I don't think I'm the only one. I'm a Christian, but I'm not like, fill in the blank, those progressive Christians. Those liberal Christians, are they even Christians? I'm not like those conservative, late, let's make America great again Christians. I'm not like those charismatic, speaking in tongue Christians. I'm not like those stoic, reformed Christians. We've got to poke ourselves as well here. To every one of our I'm not like those Christian statements, Jesus would remind us, whoever is not against us is for us. In other words, hey folks, we're all on the same team. We're all on the same team. Stop trying to take out your own teammates. I mean, if John would have paused for just a second before changing the subject and really thought about what he was saying, I think he would have realized how ridiculous it sounded. The man just cast a demon out of someone who was demon-possessed. And you've got to imagine that person who was demon-possessed was miserable. I mean, life was miserable, and he cast the demon out, and John is saying, don't do it. Would he rather that man still have been demon-possessed? Maybe what was really going on is the disciples, remember, they had just tried to cast out a demon, and they failed. The disciples, the 12, the ones who have walked with Jesus, the ones who are supposedly in the know with all the power, and here comes some stranger, someone they don't even know, and in the name of Christ, casts out a demon. So what does this all mean for us today? There's a lot of implications, but I'm going to highlight two. One of the implications is you and I don't need anybody's permission to minister in the name of Christ. We don't need anyone's per permission to minister in the, the name of Christ. We don't need anyone to give us their authorization to be an ambassador to the world on behalf of Christ, to, to love our neighbor. We need no one to say, you have permission to do that. He has already given us permission. And so if we have permission, one of the questions might be, what are we waiting for? For someone to tell us that we can do what God has already said we can do and in fact tells us to do? I was thinking back to when I was in elementary school and, and how the, the system was set up that if you had to go to the bathroom, you, know, you had to go up and ask the teacher, can I go to the bathroom? And, and if they say yes, they give you the big pass, you know, this conspicuous pass. And, and for me, my personality, like I, didn't, I felt too sheepish doing that, so I would just sit there and hold it. No, that's too much information. But, but then the day came. Then the day came when I was like recognized as an adult. And if I wanted to go to the bathroom, I could go to the bathroom. And I didn't need to ask anyone permission. And boy, so liberating. Oh, happy day. I wonder if when it comes to, to ministering, if we're back in elementary school, thinking that I need a pass from somebody. I need permission to, to get up and do something and in the name of Christ. We've graduated. Jesus has said go to every single one of us. 
So what are we waiting for? Here's the other implication. It is beyond time. It is past time for the church. By church, I mean us to stop taking so many shots at other Christians, at other churches. The church is increasingly being wounded from friendly fire, being shot at behind, from behind us, behind from friends. Now, I'm not trying to be kind of Pollyanna. There are debates that we need to have with one another. There are even arguments that we need to have. You read the New Testament, and, and there were arguments. There are things that are worth disagreeing over and things that are worth saying, we need to, to figure this out. We are not seeing this the same. But at the end of the day, we're on the same team. Jesus said, if you are serving a cup of water in the name of Christ, then even though we might disagree about a lot even though we may live our faith out in different ways and different expressions, I'm for you, and my hope is that you're for me. We are for the church down the street. We've got to be for the church down the street. And by God's grace, the church down the street has to be for us. The church grows not when we cling to power, but when we empower others. Not when we discourage people from using their gifts, but we're a place that says, hey, Carla, you're this banker with all this experience. You've only been a member here three months, but man, it would be awesome if you would host this class. Let's do it. And actually, I love that it was Carla that, that had that instinct, who had that initiative, who came to me and said, I would love to offer this. Like, Let's go. That's what the church is supposed to be. Not sitting, sitting idle, not waiting for permission, but going and making disciples. Join me as we pray. Father God, I'm so grateful that day that uh, you did not congratulate John for that impulse to shut it down, but, but you challenged him. And Lord, you, you continue to challenge us to, to be a place that empowers people. Lord, we thank you that you have given us permission. You have given us your word as our rule, your spirit as our guide, and you've called us to go. And so help us be a church that goes. And Lord, when we're in those moments where maybe we want to pull the trigger on a, a word or an accusation of a, a fellow believer, Lord, help us just pause and consider, is this really going to build up the body or do damage to the body? We pray this in the power of your son's name. Amen.